<laughs> well, we can't use these as blooper reels now. If you keep yes, making, if you keep making sounds, yes, we can. Oh, I'll just have to edit you out. podcast of Real Clinicians, Real Chats. My name is Alex Murray. I'm a podiatrist and strength and conditioning coach based in Canberra, Australia. And I'm Kit Wisdom. I'm a physiotherapist currently studying a somatic psychotherapy based in Melbourne, Australia. And we're continuing on with our format of just reflecting what's been, what's been coming up for us over the last month. Hmm. Did you want to start us off, Kit, or do you want me to? Uh, I'm happy to start. I mean, I just also want to pay attention to the fact that I just found my teacup that was in my podcasting little nook from last month, and it's growing mold. Ooh. So uh, that was my first noticing. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is is a childhood brain explosion of mine around tautology is continuing on. Tautology. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ah, oh, cool. So tautology is when like we use the same word, different words in a row, but they mean the same thing. So like we're continuing, but we're continuing on is potentially like the same thing. Um, so like, um, what's, I'm gonna, now I'm going to have a really bad, really now I'm on the spot and I'm getting all my heart's pumping and my brain's gone blank. I can't think of another description of tautology for you. Um, it's almost like we could Google it. Let's Google it. That's <laughs> what the podcast turns into. But that's as soon as you said we're continuing on, my brain went, tautology. I am notoriously poor at grammar. I actually had to spend a significant period of time just learning how, like, how to read, like, write things that weren't a medical letter. I've Googled. So... The saying of the same thing twice over in different words generally considered to be a fault of style. E.g., they arrived one after the other in succession. Um. <laughs> I like how, anyway. it's, how it said it's just like generally a fault in style. And I remember <laughs> in my postgrad, I, one of the guys, he said, oh, if you want to get better at writing, you've got to read this book. And it was like Elements of Style. It's this tiny, thin little book that just rips your writing to shreds. Like, don't uh -huh. do this, don't do that. That's poor. It's very like old English sort of like, here's the proper way to write. I felt mm -hmm. called out. Yeah. And why I do most of my things with me talking, not me writing essays. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Mm. A little bit of, cri little bit of criticism. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about just before, yeah. Alex? Um, okay, now we've got tautology sorted. Um, maybe someone can feed back to us whether they think continuing on is tautology or not. Um, did I want to start? Yes. Yes. Uh, so a um, couple of things have come up um, in the last month besides the teacup mould. Um, again, like a sense of, um, like, I want to share the podcast more with people now that it's reflecting <laughs> reflection, which is really interesting like 
a sense that I'm excited about how we're doing it even more so now. Mm-hmm. So it was something just interesting to, to notice in me um, and really stoked that I have you as my co-collaborator uh, and that I'm not doing it alone. That was something also I really appreciated the last month um, and your excitement around it. Um, and then the other reflection I've had um, from more of a clinical space, I suppose, um, came up a couple of days ago with a client and it was more around, I thought it was a bit interesting because um, I'd been chatting with her around, you know, we were doing a reflection of the last time we caught up and, you know, I said, oh, what stood out for you in the, in the last couple of weeks? And she said, it was just bizarre how much better I felt leaving, you know, and cause we didn't do any hands-on, which is her normal, uh, route of, um, treatment. So, you know, in that moment there was an opportunity and I like paused and said to her, you know, um, yeah, why do you, what do you think might have contributed to that? You know, and she said to me, well, you're obviously a witch, right? <laughs> we had a bit of a giggle. Um, and I said, well, no, really, let's unpack this. Let's, let's have a think about what might have contributed all the things to, to why you felt better leaving. And I just thought it was really cool. We can go through it later if you want. But we just actually then whiteboarded, like, multiple things that could have contributed from this place, this new understanding of pain that she had. Um, and even things like one of the ones she mentioned was um, having, she had like two or three friends who were kind of interested in this sort of mind-body um, experience, you know, different lens, more evolving lens. Um, and those couple of friends were really big resources for her to chat to about it rather than the friends that like kind of go, oh, wow, that's interesting, like, and then move on. Yeah. So it was really interesting just to hear her have conversations with other people who are interested and engaged and like curious and how that actually impacted her whole mindset around and her approach towards her pain and her pain experience. Um, again, one of the things she mentioned was she stopped avoiding the pain and actually started to kind of engage with it and be curious about it. Um, she mentioned the fact that we didn't do input stuff, like we did a different approach and how that sort of surprised her, but also allowed her to kind of step into a different way of seeing things. Um, she mentioned like mid-range, she really liked loading the tissues that we were loading in mid-range rather than stretching them. So we're kind of taking a bit more of a tendon slash persistent pain kind of approach. Um, What else did she talk about? The safety of our relationship, the honesty, um, the ability to to whiteboard everything and kind of um, see the whole. Uh, I'm now actually explaining it, aren't I? Even though I said I could explain it later. <laughs> I think this is a this is a really good reflection. Like that, what what's um, what comes up for me when you're talking is there was a paper, and I let the I didn't save the paper for some reason, or if I have, it's gone into the pile um, yeah. where anything could be there. Um, but it was talking about how we use reflections in practice. Mm-hmm. and what was effective for people. And it sort of went through these stages and one stage was like, you know, people 
they were already sort of, they already knew what they needed to know. They were where they needed to be. It was really easy to just talk to them and be mm-hmm. like, this is what's happening. And they go, yes, great. That makes sense. Hmm. These were people who were very curious, sort of if we're thinking on a behaviour change perspective, on a contemplative, almost in a preparation stage. So they'd already sort of understood that there needed to be a change or they were seriously considering the change and they were just needing like a little push. Hmm. And what we would do is you would all, you'd provide information up front and you'd say, Here, here's a bunch of information about how pain really works or how the body works or this new information, and now we're going to test it out in the clinic. Let's go outside and do it. And that worked really well for those people because they were like, I understand what I'm doing. I'm engaged. Uh, I know we're going to be testing it. Oh, look, you know, look at the outcome. How great's that? Hmm. But when we're talking, uh, and that's sort of usually how people sort of think about education and think about reflection. And I I see a lot in the clinic where people are like, I just want to give you this bit of information that's going to change how you think and then it's going to lead to this outcome. Mm. What this paper highlighted is for people who are in a stage of where they've got a lot more like stronger beliefs that that we're looking to change. They've got, so they're more in that pre-contemplative, early contemplation sort of stage for behaviour change that you have to get them moving and doing something and you have to get something to happen. And then the power of what we can provide is in, educa- in education, in quote, quotation marks, mm-hmm. is reflecting on their experience and drawing out all those components. And it was just highlighting, and it seems really um, quite intuitive, when you think about it, but yep. it was saying that, you know, you, you, for someone with stronger beliefs, with someone who you're trying to challenge a whole lot more, you need to draw on their information yep. and everything that's happening to them. And I think taking what you've explained is that you found a moment where someone noticed something and it could have been a throwaway, could have mm. been something, oh, that's so great. Like, fantastic. We're doing a great job. And you've sort of gone, no, this is actually a really good reflection prompt to explore what's going on, why you're feeling better. And for someone like that patient, the other thing I notice is you're talking about how they were sort of almost providing lots of inputs to their body as a way of distracting, like they're stretching to the end range of motion, or then they were ignoring what the pain was happening. So they were sort of like a much more trying to, in ways, avoid it by either not thinking about it or providing a, a much greater stimulus. And it was actually at that point of, going, actually, I can sit better with the pain. Like I'm understanding more about it and I'm more curious. I've got people that I can talk to. So I've got this social security net with both as a way of talking and developing some reflections within herself, but also having a support network of people. So she felt hurt. obviously got your support network and sort of highlighting all of that. I can see that being there as a really powerful way of reinforcing what in a way she's incidentally built. Like we're not, we're not deciding, Hey, you need to go and talk to your friends about this, like, but noticing those things that are helpful. And then that forms the basis of, you know, you making more suggestions or when things are happening, you can draw back on that. Remember how we had that reflection remember how that was something for you that you came up with. Remember Mm. that. And I just think that's like the epitome of really good reflections in clinical practice and, and drawing out a person's experience and it sounded like it was really positive for you as well yeah well I I just thought it was a really lovely one in that 
I don't know if she would remember, but I saw her a couple of years ago and we I saw her for this same calf, but it's like she'd forgotten about that. Um, mm. And I didn't bring it back and be like, hey, this is what we did, but I was just reading the notes. And it was just interesting because she would have been, you know, I could have labelled her avoidant of pain back then, but she was, I sort of saw it through this lens of, um, you know, she was, her relationship with pain was um, really highly frustrated and, you know, she was not in a space to, she wasn't ready to do the new thing. You know, she was ready for quick input, quick fixes, you know, patch it up, keep going, you know. So I think it's interesting from my point of view as a practitioner seeing two years coming back down the road and I and I didn't change my approach at all. I was curious, but she was ready for a little bit more of a, she knew, she said, I'm, I'm ready for the next thing. Like I've done all of the same things. And the first thing we named when she first came in was the cycle that she was in, you know, her wasn't even boom bust. It was just we named like the urgency and the anxiety and what behavior come, what does she do with that? What thoughts are there? What emotions are there? So that was one of the first things we did was just reflect on what's her current relationship with pain and how does it play out and how does it show up? So I think, you know, it was really cool just to have our next session where she led the reflection as well. And she said, Hey, I've noticed my biggest noticing is my avoidance. And then she reflected on how she then approached her pain after that, having noticed and voiced her avoidance herself rather than me naming her avoidance, you know. So I just thought it was a beautiful example of, you know, providing maybe even context around years for people around how this stuff it goes slow and, you know, to, to walk with people and, you know, not blame or shame or, you know, girl, the last time you didn't want to listen to me, this time are you going to listen? You know, like it's a beautiful example for it because, and and we went through similar, I think we did some similar sort of um, noticings around her whole system. Um, but it felt like this time she was really, you know, had developed a bit more of that that compassion for self and you could argue, you know, how much did COVID play into it? Like all the contextual factors, all of this, you know, she's going to have another kid, you know, like there's so much she would have learned from her first child. Um, I find as a parent, one of the biggest things I've learned in life around myself has come through having to look after another small human. Um, so I just think it was a really lovely experience to trust that people are chipping away at things and that they can evolve when they're ready from that behavior change literature, like their readiness or their, you know, but I think also there's, there's wisdom there from the, the client. And that's where I have a little bit of a challenge around behavior change as a theme, whereas maybe we're behavior noticing and mm. it'll emerge and shift as it's supported to do it. We're not trying to change it necessarily. It's interesting because, yes, as you're talking and you're talking about behavior change and or how people can sort of label patients and, and you could have gone in thinking, oh, this person didn't listen last time, mm. is that, yeah, one of the things that can happen with a paradigm, if you were looking at it from a very reductionist perspective or a very sort of set sort of perspective is you can almost get a sort of an image from those words of someone being fixed in that position. Mm. and sort of almost like a, rather than it being sort of a spectrum, 
or being sort of like a thinking, you know, from an organic perspective, I think almost like tablets and slates in my mind of like this, mm-hmm. this is pre-contemplative and contemplative and mm-hmm. you move very, uh, very rigidly from one to the other where, where like you, you actually read the original work um, of people who, uh, James Prochaska, I think was, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the original book, uh, I went back and read that and they're talking about how it's a very fluid process mm. and people are constantly sort of moving and this categorization is more just there to try and help us make sense of where we want to be. So for labeling someone pre-contemplative or contemplative isn't to be like a diagnosis, that's mm. our that's our philosophical approach, that reductionist approach coming in going, we need a label mm. and we need a diagnosis, we need a pathology. It's more about saying, well, hold on a second, if someone is doesn't think that not ready to change, not considering other options, mm. potentially coming in and saying, hey, by the way, I've got this new option, you, you're interested in it, that'd be like, no. But if you understand that they're at that point of of not considering other change, you might changing your approach and thinking about how I could potentially um, start to make them more curious. Mm. And one of the things that, that you, that was interesting going back to your reflection is that you did a reflection, a guided one patient Mm. was happy, was, was happy to go, go with it. And then that was modeling for them, for them to start doing their own reflections and it sort of created, and it's sort of like, how, how cool is that? Number one, but number two, that's kind of, perfect because what you're doing is you're someone who might be in a contemplative stage and or that point and you're starting to model what's happening and that starts to create that 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 action yeah yeah and if you know if we're still thinking in tiles because that's what frameworks do for us don't Mm. they like they that and that's that's fine but if you know i'm jumping back onto her tile with her and going oh what does this tile look like Mm. you know what's it like here um you know and getting curious about where we are Mm. um and you know i think that yeah again that that curiosity and and i suppose again it's my brain keeps coming back to like oh but i've got time to do this there's something around that for me i must explore that a bit more but it's choosing to go down this pathway as soon as we started just felt right Mm. and it felt like that was going to allow whatever else to emerge was going to come from that place. So if I didn't, if we're going to use the phrase jump on the tile with her, but <laughs> you know, like that just felt where we had to go. Um, and so it was interesting when, yeah, she came back and she kind of was like, can I tell you about this place that I'm in now? Like, of course I'm going to go, of course, like this is rad. And then, yeah, to take that moment and go, you know, I could have laughed with her around being a witch and then claimed all of the, uh, it was my amazing X, Y, Z that, <laughs> that changed your pain, you know, but to take that moment and, um, and spend a good 20 minutes on it. Um, because then that designed our next session, our next part of the session in the gym, um, which then designed our management plan, which then designed our, like, when are we going to next catch up or, you know, so it, it did it, everything emerged from that point. Um, in the fluidity that you're talking about. So, and then even when I checked in with her to ask her consent about, you know, bringing it onto the show, she was like, because I said, oh, you know, thanks for our session yesterday. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, would you be okay? Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I loved our session too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's another reinforcement of 
like what she enjoyed about it. And then she said, yeah, go nuts. She goes, tell my whole story. Use my name. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But, and, you know, and there's layers to the, to the case, you know, she's an ex-ballet dancer. You know, there's so many deep beliefs and layers around alignment and, um, and needing to do things right and holding in, like we even started to deviate a bit off to, to core and pelvic floor and having a child. She's about to have her second child, you know, and she's got concerns around, you know, and even just chatting around, you know, what deep narratives has she been kind of have been embedded from a from a professional ballet background around um even holding or core and how that might be coming out in her um you know her exercises and you know so it it there's so many layers to it um and i think if you if you kind of even think back to generalize a bit to like maybe you know 30 years ago a a ballet school (laughs) Yeah. It's probably not going to provide much space for the kid's voice, you know, on their on their experiences or their body or what they think might be going on. So there's those layers again as well as providing an environment or an experience where they might not have had that throughout their life around sort of advocation or reflection or this is what I think or this is what I need. It's funny because I think about what, what we're trying what we are trying, what the, there's like a a push in the profession to be like, okay, you know, there's, we've got to be person centered. Mm. We've got to focus on the individual on the impact in their life. Great. And there's always this sort of level of annoyance being like, oh, the patient's not doing what I want and how I do it. And, oh, they've got these beliefs and all these sort of things that that exactly what you're sort of going, you know, we created this, you know, you've created a space and have gone in a way to start reflecting on these beliefs and ideas. You've mm. gone about it in a way that's um, gotten her to draw it all out. Like you've done this whole process and it's just funny because I think we, you know, you've modeled this as well. You're doing all the things that, that we want to achieve really mm. where we're getting the, the, some of the biggest barriers we keep identifying to people getting better is their, their beliefs. They're, they're not going through and making big changes to, you know, cause they're doing their exercises where they might be holding a whole lot more or they're worried and they're not doing it the, at the same intensity. They're not learning that they can trust their body, mm. but this exploration is almost seen as in, in a way somewhat out of our scope. Mm. Does it sound out of scope? No, no, not to me. <laughs> Because I mean, I mean, this is the question about where where does education start? Where does education end? If we said, you know, you are going to teach someone about their condition, mm-hmm. and you're going to explain it to them in a way that they can understand and embody, right? Mm-hmm. How is that not drawing upon what they currently know and reflecting about how that impacts their behaviour? Mm. Yep. It's. And this is not like to just be like, no, it isn't within scope. And like, it's I <laughs> to go down that. We're not. I, I'm not sort of keen to go down and litigate that side of things. But it's interesting in the sense of that we are, as a profession, in a way of sort of avoidant that because we're not we're avoidant of these sort of deeper conversations and creating this sort of space. We feel mm. most comfortable actually doing the thing and then just hoping people figure it out. 
Mm. Yeah. And I think I think that's an interesting point because, you know, we do know beliefs are really sticky. Like we know that. We know that pain's influenced by our environments. We know it's an experience. Like that's how I explain it to my clients. Like if pain's an experience, we have knowledge that it gets impacted by how people treat you. So that's going to be your parents growing up, your teachers, prominent people at ballet school. Mm. You know, they're going to shape how you respond to pain. You know, if you've got anything, I might say something like, does anything come up when I say that? Yeah, I had a really strict ballet teacher. You know, like, it's, yes, I get that it's going somewhere else, but it also doesn't have to be, like, it's not a psych session. You know, Mm. it's exploring pain as an experience, knowing that we learn pain, which is a very common now, is that Noy who started that? I'm sorry if I get that wrong, but... You know, that understanding mm. that we learn pain. So for me going back and going, oh, I wonder how you've learned pain seems really quite like Im- imperative in a way to mm. me. Otherwise, it, you know, as a way to, to get a bit deeper. It seems like you're sort of picking up what's a sticky point for yes. that person. So yeah. I'm noticing like this and then you're sort of throwing a bit of bait out in a way. Or, 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 or you're, you're, you're not, not Bait no, means right. that I'm trying to, I've got an agenda to catch something, Alex. I was, I was about to say that, thank you, <laughs> that you were trying to like get someone into a trap. Well, it's, it's, it'd be more of just like putting out like a tasting platter and seeing what they, what they go for. Um, I think, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm noticing sticky points and I think, I'm giving them the information we know about pain being an experience. So I'm giving them what we know. I'm noticing stickiness and I'm providing space for them to then, I will then say what comes up for you. So they provide then, Mm. they go sticky point, there's some information and then, oh, she wants to actually know what's going on in my brain. You're not, you're not being like, and and this is the the thing that I that I see sometimes is people kind of go, this is your problem. What do you think? <laughs> and it's just <laughs> just kind of like you suck. Comment. Um, you know what what do you think about that? Um, no. And it's it's like, oh, well, this is really shit. You know, what? How how do you think we can go about improving it? When it's like, hold on a second, you don't know how they're going to react. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, it's so very interesting, and my mind's gone completely blank to examples of this. But yeah, you can say lots of different things. Well, it's like if you think about all the interviews, hmm. right, that you see on the news of just here's a random bystander. What do you think about this? Or what have you seen? If you, you notice really interestingly, like they'll go in with a similar sort of statement or a similar approach, and then people will can go on wildly different tangents. Because what's important for them, what's coming up in that moment, maybe in, in, in a week's time for even the same person will be really different where they sort of join the dots. What's, what's sort of important mm. is vastly different and going into a conversation, knowing that it's not, you have no idea where it's going to go. What's important to them, what's going to come up. It's sort of almost like, yeah, it's sort of providing a really open entry and then having them lead it. And I'm guessing that's that's a, a, a way of, you know, where you're saying, you know, you're letting the patient sort of take the lead. You're not just sitting in a room being like, 
okay? Like, because that's that's the imagery that, that we get when people sort of mm. argue against letting the patient take the lead, where, no, you're sort of putting something out and going, so we have this, mm-hmm. what do you think? And they go, oh, I think this. And you go, okay, great, what do we want to explore that? Yes, we can. So, like, they've, they've sort of identified it's something that they want to talk about, they identified it's something that it's important. You've sort of set out a, a point, mm. but what's important to them is still being done and we're still going in in that direction yeah and I direction think, yeah and again i might if um you know check in with myself and if the timing's right and the situation's right i might offer in an example that might be from someone else or myself you know to kind of give them not an answer but a theme around what you know it's kind of like giving permission that it could be something really weird or something like so i might go you know um you know, when, when I had really bad back pain, persistent back pain when I was, um, you know, my kid was small, my kid was a runner, you know, like most of my pain experiences were around catastrophizing that he was going to die. You know, he's going to run across the road and die, you know, because that's my experience that back then I couldn't move properly and my single mum and my kid runs across the road. Like that's the honest truth of what was running through my brain, not like am I squatting properly or can I lift that up? It was more, can I chase my kid? Mm. You know, so sometimes, and depending on the person reading the room, self-disclosure, all that sort of stuff, but sometimes I might offer in also like, it's okay that this thing can be your biggest concern, you know? Mm. Um, so I think there are also ways of kind of like, you might say offering bait, but I'm just going to be giving permission and maybe safety to explore something that, you might not think your physio is that interested in. But really what my intention is, is to create space for the thing that's most important to them or most concerning for them to actually be okay to be in the room and verbalised and if they're okay with it, put up on the board, you know. Um, because that's when we then get to the real nuts and bolts for them of what of what's going on. Um, Thank you for yeah. sharing. That's, that's a pretty <laughs> a powerful... Yeah, I mean, powerful the right word. Well, it's the it was the truth. Mm. So you know, and it, it's, um, yeah, it's a. I think these are the the things that we're starting to figure out more when we create more of this. You know, these these places where people can share a bit more um, vulnerably is is what's actually at their biggest concerns. Um, yeah, it's interesting because. If you go back to the original Engel papers, like 1977, 79, 80, 81, somewhere around there, there's like a series of them. Hello, research brain, Alex. Well, I think, yeah. I, I, <laughs> come on. Um, I appreciate your brain being able to do that. Um, there's a series of papers and one of the first paper I think was about 77 and he sort of outlines the biopsychosocial model from a very like mm. cognitive perspective being like we need to pay attention to not just the pathology and not just pathologize things. And then the second paper was sort of like the clinical adapt, um, cl- clinical applications of it. Mm. And what was really interesting is he sort of presented this, the, the model that we often see where it sort of talks about uh, from a systems thinking perspective, all of these different sort of stages from like a, a tiny, like nucleus type of cell level. And that, that, that goes up to the second level. And there's a third level and it's going through all the biology. 
But then it sort of talks about how, or how all of these stages then interact with a level of self, the, the psychology. Right. And then we've got, you know, how the, the person's self interacts with their environment, interacts with others. And they're talking about a person-to-person -person connection, a person-to-family connection, a person-to-community, a person-to-society connection. Mm. And it sort of talks about how there's, you know, all of these stages together all interact. Mm. And from this perspective of um, thinking about psychological factors, we often sort of put them as, okay, you know, it's just interacting with like the biology and themselves. And we're not sort of thinking about the wider sociological sort of components and how they interact. And, and he sort of gave a whole series of examples. The example I love to give, because it's the exact one from the paper, mm. is this guy turning up with a, and he had a heart attack. He's had a heart, small heart attack previously. He turns up to hospital, heart attack. Everyone's worried. He's a typical sort of, I mean, this was the 80s as well. And this was a previous case. So this is sort of like, think, I think in my mind, like 1950s sort of man who, you know, typical man that goes to work for, you know, a corporation, you know, very, mm. um, that sort of masculine, I can deal with anything sort of approach and was um, into his health and was in a lot of denial. And then it sort of hit and it was like, holy shit, mm. I could die. Mm. And what's the one thing you don't do generally after a heart attack? Run. I get, get your blood pressure up. Mm. They're like, keep things calm. But this is a man who then turned around and then went straight into work and was like, furiously doing all of this work, getting really worked up, high blood pressure, and everyone's going, this is nuts, and the guy's not listening to us. And what actually, sort of when we explored it, it turned out what was happening is that he, as a man within that society and the culture at the time, had a huge sense of duty. Mm. And it was his duty to make sure that he cared for his family. And that if he was going to die, that he needed his affairs in order. So he'd been avoiding all of his affairs. I'm a man. I'm going to live forever. Da, 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 da. Then the fragility hit of, holy shit, I could die tomorrow. I could have another one of these. We don't know. You know, it was also, you know, the 70s and 80s, you know. We didn't have as good tech back then. So it was a lot more uncertainty around mm. what was going to happen. And so he was going into work and he wasn't doing work. He was spending hours upon hours trying to sort out all of his affairs, get a will in place, do all this sort of stuff. And there was this interaction between, you know, his psychology, his, his understanding of himself within the culture, his responsibility, his, the way he saw himself mm. and what ended up in his behaviors. And then how that had an interact on his, his biology, which was, he was getting his heart rate up. And what Engel was talking about is if you are going to treat that case, you mm. need to be seeing what is going to be impacting his behavior. Cause it's all good to just tell them, oh, don't raise your heart rate. But if this person's got a legitimate concern mm. or, uh, for, for them, and, and regardless of whether we think that's right or wrong, that person has that idea that they, that's what they should be, who they should be, what they should mm. be doing. Mm. We have to interact with that. We yeah. have to have a discussion around that. And potentially one of the things that we could do is just have a discussion around, Hey, you know, yes, we, we don't know if you're going to have a heart attack tomorrow or a heart attack in 10 years, mm. but probably the likelihood of you having a heart attack tomorrow is probably really low, but what makes it more ironically more likely is if you have this high, high blood pressure, is there a way that we can start to achieve this outcome of getting your affairs sorted without you raising your blood pressure? 
what could we do and like interact with that on on that on that level rather than just being like well do we need to tie you to a hospital bed mm. to get you to calm down do we need to sedate you mm. you know <laughs> but that's uh, I, I think that's the the interesting thing when we're talking about behavior we're talking about uh treating the whole person this was written about in the 70s and 80s. This was what was coming out, but it's been so distorted by our assumptions and, a, and approach. That's sort of why I go to that comment about, oh, it's not in our scope. Because mm. it's sort of just showing how, you know, we haven't moved the pendulum as a whole profession, our expectations, our ideas of what we should be doing. And mm. When I'm curious around um, maybe our denial of the human wholeness to this you know is this is there a reason why i'm curious around like why you know that did come out in the 70s and how we have gone towards correct me if i'm saying this incorrectly but gone towards like this is our assumption of what bps means and this is how we're going to implement it and we kind of have missed this you know really chunky lovely piece like i'm curious around um maybe how we conceptualize wholeness or you know does it again need to be split apart and you know that left side brain stuff comes in again where i'm like are we doing it to fragment it in order to click to get to get to the whole whereas we can we just acknowledge the whole is actually there right in front of us it's just that we need to like create space for it or explore it i i would argue that the what we've done is we've just taken the information and applied it in a way that already makes sense to us. Mm. So we've all seen those patients where we give them some bit of information and then they go away and they're like, oh yeah, like I just, just applied it in the same way. Like we've, we've told, told them that it's, it's safe to, to squat and move and they sort of leave and go, oh, okay, like it's safe to squat for like, and I can move my knee if I'm you doing this technique or if I'm doing it this way or this way's fine and this way wasn't fine rather than sort of actually getting at the core belief of hold on a second like actually overall movement is safe and you know motion is lotion all of those sort of lovely analogies that we can use they didn't actually change their core belief and i think that's the same with us where it's like we're still seeing ourselves as a fixer profession as a profession that's there to find something that's wrong and remove it well like you said then you said it, we've used it based on what we what makes sense to us mm. like not what makes sense to the client or what makes sense to something that emerges between the two of us like can we make sense together if you think about the magic hands sort of where people are like oh, i have hands that can put things back in place mm. this challenges the idea that that's actually what's happening mm. and i think that can be really challenging for people because it it, it, it makes us ask a lot of questions about what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, who we're doing it for. I think it's much more com comfortable to be able to say, okay, we're fixing something. And if it's not fixed and I did everything quote unquote right, then it must be, it must not be my fault mm. that they're not getting better. And we start to get into that very adversarial, um, medico legal, yeah, I just noticed I did a big breath. I noticed that too. I could hear it. Like, I saw the levels just go up and down. I was like, oh, there's something. Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how I don't want to, I notice I don't want to go into hands-on, hands-off. Like I still see that I get that, I get that we have, you know, lots of work to do around fixer versus facilitator, but I still feel like the depth behind these messages is one or the other. Mm, and it's an argument and it's adversary. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to go into that. Let's talk about something else, Alex. What else did you reflect on this week? <laughs> Well, I think, I think choosing not to engage in a dichotomous argument and making that uh, a point and saying, well, actually it's about, and I guess, because it also comes back to the idea of right and wrong and being able to say, this person needs X at this point and this person mm. needs Y at that point. But I'm just, I'm so cute. What happened in your body when we started to talk about that one thing or the other, you know, what did you notice? Uh, a familiarity with, with how I can speak about it because I'm used to speaking about this a lot. Yeah. Just like, here we go. Play the record. Yeah. Back in the, back in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, can we, can we choose then to intentionally not get in the ring about it? Well, does that mean not continuing to talk about it at all? No. <laughs> but or are we just talking about not getting into the dichotomous argument? I just wonder if, you know, there's a third path that's not, you know, uh, we can talk about how, you know, I suppose if I go back to what my brain was thinking was when you said it challenges people who, you know, have got their whole careers around fixing with their hands. We're not, I'm not arguing that their hands are not doing something or that they're not doing something. Their presence is, you know, we've talked about this. They're, they are in the intersubjective space. They are contributing to whatever is emerging between them and the client. So I think that's the interesting piece for me is that that immediate thought that I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy, I'm either wrong or irreplaceable or, you know, again, it flicks to that either or response. Whereas like, well, no, they're, they are contributing to something. They are impacting the, the physiology of the other person. We now know that through neuroscience. So like, what is going on there? You There's know? almost like an out, like a focus on the outcomes. Yeah. As well, like we're trying to pull out and say, well, this did this and this did that. And this is what's happening when like I think about if you put me in a room with someone or I, I think about what I what I acknowledge, like I'm seeing a whole bunch of cases from a variety of people uh, around town, which is really cool. And, and in the clinic, so I, I can see how some uh, people who are uh, younger and older mm -hmm. and also from a different profession. Um, mm. so, you know, I'm seeing someone from a physio perspective, someone seeing someone from a physio perspective, they come in to see me as a referral and say, okay, you know, I'm here to explore X, Y, and Z, but, you know, I always sort of get them to talk about their overall case and what's happening. And mm. I notice how, you know, my approach, my thought, the, the fact that I'm also being like a, ref like being referred to, so they've already gone through something with someone else, how different the outcome what they're saying to me, my, my impression from the referral, talking to the referrer, and then what actually happens and what the patient says and where we, where we get to, mm. I'm always sort of surprised. And so the, the case is like when we have someone in the room with us, yeah, everything is emerging together based upon ourselves. Therefore, it means that, you know, the, what we do, what someone's going to say yes to with one person is going to be different to what someone says yes to with another, mm. what someone's going to reflect on is different. And I think it's different not right or wrong. And mm -hmm. then what the outcome of that is, you know, I, I have on my profile, I'm a strength and conditioning coach mm. and as well as being a podiatrist. So I get 
a whole lot more patience. Had one this morning who was like, I'm just not thinking that orthotics is the right way to go. And and I, I agreed um, because it didn't make sense from a physiological perspective. But it, it just sort of makes me think about how people turn up for each mm. individual practitioner just from the marketing that we have out there and then also how we interact, how we explain things, what's going to change. Well, and what they yeah. yeah, what they share. I had a new patient this morning who we put all the stuff up on the board and I said, Oh, what how's that landing with you? You know, is it a are we going too fast? You know, what's the information like? And she was like, It's really made me think how I share bits and pieces with lots of different people, but I don't actually share the whole with anyone. Mm. And I was like, That's a pretty rad reflection, just mm. in general, you know? Um, and that came from her like just being able to see it all up there. Um, I, I remember being working in a gym when I was 20 and I remember the boss, um, who was a shorter lady, um, older in mid thirties at the time. Mm -hmm. And she had a go at me and said, you saw someone that came in the other day and showed them around the gym and you didn't get them to sign up. And I'm like, I only lasted a couple of months of this job. Um, it's like your chemist job. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Yeah. I took some really terrible jobs, but. It was funny because I was, I transitioned to that job at the gym because I used to work at the sports store across the hall that was going down the tube. Then I jumped to that. And then I was at the same time I was working at a bottle shop. And so like, I was just constantly transitioning between job to job to job. And then like just staying with the one that wasn't crap until it became crap. Anyway, um, <laughs> I had some wild jobs. Um, what was I saying? Uh, you signed someone up. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. I didn't sign someone up. Didn't sign up. And what, what ended up coming out of it is that they go, when then she came back later, this, this lady came back later and she was so keen to sign up. It turned out that she was a victim of domestic violence mm. and that she had a lot of things around wanting to get strong to, mm -hmm. to, as, and feeling much more to rebuild her confidence in herself and her safety. Uh, she wanted to getting out of a relationship was had a whole lot about just general body image mm -hmm. and having a lot of emotional manipulation. Like these are all things as well. I'm reflecting on in the, in, in the past based upon the, the conversation, I was not mature enough at that point to have these reflections. Mm -hmm. And that was the point. I was a 20 year old guy that had no idea what he was doing, worked mm -hmm. part time at a gym, just being given a, a sales sheet and the expectation that that person would open up mm. to me or want me feel comfortable with me. I, I, you know, I was six, three at the time. She was, both of them were quite short, like the yeah. owner and the person who signed up, you know, so all of a sudden this really friendly, uh, although not friendly in private, um, but really sort of outwardly sort of outgoing, friendly sort of person, similar height, same gender, older, experienced, you know, that is going to produce a very, very different outcome than someone who is 20, mm. bumbling. Um, you know, I was hired because they, they thought I could do sales. Well, it just turned out I could do footwear sales because I knew what I was doing with mm -hmm. footwear because I studied it. Um, I was not good at sales, period. Um, <laughs> and I, I wonder how much as well we, because I think to what's happening when I see new grads practice, is what's going to happen with them 
is going to be very different to having someone. I mean, I labeled this as part of my old boss. I called it the gray hair effect where like someone would come in and see my old boss when I was a new grad and they would tell him things and be okay with things that he said very different to what I was said. And, and sometimes I think we, we don't label that for new grads and say, actually, like, this is going to change your outcome. You can't just copy what the guy who's, you know, 30 years into his career is doing and saying, because it's going to come from a very different place. Well, the information that you're going to get is very different. So can I ask a question? Absolutely. What would you do, say you had another go over mm -hmm. with the maturity that you now have? We can't do anything about your height, unfortunately. You know, I just got to sit down a lot. Well, again. So, but like, what, what would you do differently now if that lady came in? You know, I know you're not still in that same gym, but like, you know, to see you knowing all of those contextual factors. I think the focus of the gym at that time was to just get someone in, mm -hmm. show them all the equipment and let the equipment do the talking, let the, the place do the talking. So you're sort of like just dragging this person around. Yeah. And there was no focus on why have they decided to walk into a gym and give us their contact information. And they know that we're then going to go after them. Pester them. Pester mm. them. Um, because it was a gym. Mm. Um, so there's a level of how did they get to this point? Um, especially because it was a gym that used to be in the area that used to uh, do dodgy things with people's information as well. So this is someone who's coming, who's motivated. Mm. Why aren't we tapping into that? Why aren't we asking just open questions about what's brought you in? You know, what, what has made you interested in the gym? Have you been to a gym before? Mm -hmm. You know, why did you quit? What's changed now? Why are you thinking you're going to have another, another go? And so one of the outcomes for this lady, then she was, she was paired with a personal trainer um, who was very, very good. I actually, I, I, even at the time, I was just like, she is just very good at, at helping people get moving and doing and and feeling comfortable and confident and that would have that was something that she got connected with and it's like well if we had that opportunity for things to come up or we, we made those opportunities for things to come up in the same way that you you asked your question you put something out there and then you let what people wanted to say or were comfortable with saying come to the fore why didn't we have that opportunity there at the time why were we relying on it either coming up naturally them feeling confident enough to bring it up or whisk them around a gym and hopefully they, they, they sign mm. a 12-month contract before they leave. Yeah, so Alex can get his, you know, uh, what's it called? Bonus. Um, I did not get any, like, I. to be fair, one of the things about that gym was not very good. And one of the things about the business model was that they were trying to, they were paying a, a pretty decent base wage and the commission was only a small part to make mm. people feel comfortable. Uh, it did not work. Mm. <laughs> um, I suppose the other question I had around what might you do differently is kind of really more zo zooming in on that embodied presence, you know, understanding now, you know, the DV history and you're a male and a tall male, like uh, understanding that, yeah, I get, I get the argument around, you know, being older and mature and that having a certain, you know, element to it. Mm. But I suppose now, like, I'm just curious what you might intentionally like pay attention to, um, well, I think that's a, that's a good point because I can see where you're leading to, which is a case of, well, you're not going to get anywhere unless you're old and you have grey hair. Mm. Um, yeah. I think it's about being much more in, intentional 
about mm-hmm. and thinking about how you can create an environment and it can be everything from the tone and the speed of your voice how you where you place people like are you you uh, taking them to a space where they feel comfortable are you standing and talking to them are you sitting are you leaving pauses as you talk are you showing you know making it really intentional that you're showing interest in what they're saying so even if you are taking in information like i always think of i i specifically guide people to reflect and acknowledge and validate being a really important skill mm-hmm. because it's showing that you're actually listening it's demonstrating and it's showing yeah, i'm listening and i'm understanding and you could be but someone else doesn't know that because mm. you, you, you know especially if you're writing or you're sort of just looking so i think there's so much to do with thinking about so like yeah do you you know if we're thinking about a clinic or thinking about a gym you know do you start having conversations in the hallway or do you wait until you're in the room mm-hmm. how's your room set up is it you know a tiny little cramped room with lots of little bits of equipment and and things to distract is it or is it a nice comfort open open space have you focused on it being really clinical have you or if you focused on it actually being well it's got all the the workspaces but you're focused on making it more comfortable a place where people usually would have more open and free conversations hmm. you know what do you do how are you sitting in your chair are you engaged the whole time are you behind a computer like i'm thinking about so many different things that you can do that make someone comfortable that has nothing to do with um your your appearance and and other things if anything sort of fights against that and i think sometimes as well especially from if we're thinking from a newer grad perspective it's understanding when to leave space mm-hmm. rather than I, I see a lot sort of talk and try to add value and i think that's exactly what we're being taught to do so i don't think they're doing anything that's doesn't make sense but like i think about to go back to analogy with dancing like so much of what makes a really good person when you're doing a partner-based dance is it's a relationship that goes backwards and forwards and there's a leader and there is a clear leader and there's a clear follower but the better that you get at leading the you're actually spending more time not trampling on the follower and not trying to really pull them and in, into certain moves and control them mm. you're actually listening to what they can and can't do you're listening for little signals of when they might want to take a break and do a style like stylize a move or do their own we did a whole i did a whole class last night which was on rather than just constantly leading move after move after move giving mm. space for like groove and time and creativity yeah well that, that was it giving someone the space to be creative yeah and that was what and all of a sudden you just realize that's what made a good dance into a fantastic dance and it was a no effort really well, no, no real like extra effort because as a leader we kind of like oh my god what am i going to do next i would argue that this feels similar to my experiences when i have a really good session mm. is that sense of space for creativity for both me and the client, but I'm potentially going to be the one that models and creates space for it and allows it and might even draw attention to it because, you know, that's something that I'm really interested in as well is that sense of creativity in our jobs or our approaches or our professions that does keep 
nourishing us or keeping us our brains alert and engaged and excited for learning you know that's something that i think is really, would be something really interesting to actually have another chat about um is where does creativity live and mm. i don't mean in just like putting together exercises i mean in the dance between the two people it's so interesting because we're so conditioned with the idea of creativity is being like an art I know. and it's like oh it's a it's a it's a paintbrush it's a drawing it's a you know if, you, if you're really thinking about it music because we don't we don't think art like music always is creativity it's like it's more of seen as like a release or something so Mm-mm. creativity is and we, we see this time and time again that when we take science-based students and give them arts-based education ideas. Well, this is the whole point about medical humanities. Mm. We open up a, a world for us to make much better connections, make much better decisions. And that, that can be creativity as well. Like thinking about how we can sort of connect with an individual. That's how I would, I've completely reframed my whole understanding of creativity. Mm. Um, and I'd say that's like one of the main features of my approach and it probably comes that merges in sort of playfulness and, and curiosity. They're probably my kind of underlying tenets of it, but I now understand the work that I do has a create creative element to it. Mm. And it's not just me, it's me and them doing the art together, if you like. Um, but I think, yeah, I wonder if we need kind of like a bit of a reframe, mm. Because I remember when a patient said to me once, wow, this is so creative. And I immediately was like, what? Like, I can't paint. Do you want to see my stick drawings? Yeah. You know, and it was that that you know, that moment where, like, your worldview kind of goes clunk and you're like, oh, shit, it just shifted. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise how much that was impacting everything. I'm thinking about a way to sort of define it a bit differently. It's just using... Because we think of creativity as to create. Mm. You create meaning around something. Totally. That's creative. Totally. Create a dialogue. Mm. You know, create a dance. As you know, you're using the dancing analogy. I'm putting that into the, the, um, the dialogue between the two people in the space, you know, and if we talk about dialogue from that place of embodied, um, awareness, you know, so then I'm being creative around my pauses and, you know, the questions I ask or, the reflections, like how I put two pieces of information together and ask for the, how it respond, they respond to it. Like that's a creative way of exploring pain. Well, I think that's that's exactly if I'm going to like try and nail it because I want to nail it. You want to? I want to nail it. To nail something. Because there's something here. There's something here, and I think what I would say is creativity. Going back to the point about creating, it's. It's making something that's new, right? Mm -hmm. That hasn't been done. And we think about person-centered practice. The whole idea is we're making something Mm -hmm. that's specific for them, whether that's an explanation, an exercise program, a meaning, like we're having to constantly create things. But also knowing that those moments are, every single one of them is going to be different. Like the session Mm. I did today will be different to the one in two weeks. Like that's exciting for me to go, Ooh, like, what are we going to create next time? Oh, exactly. And that's, 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 that's creativity. Mm. The antithesis is, is sort of like following that script. Yeah. Mm. 
yeah. So I think maybe the next one we could, well, another one, whenever it pops up again, but I think that sense of like <laughs> creativity in what we do. Us, um, us, our slow return back to themed episodes. No, I'm just thinking <laughs> at the time. Yeah. No, I was thinking, I was like, we have to end on this. No, I'm I gonna, know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the definition and then we're just going to cut it off. And we need to yeah, explore that need for you to find certainty and then that's it. Folks, we've found the answer. <laughs> well, I think what I, I think what it, not about finding certainty. We have certainty, prevailed. It's the, it's, I worry that sometimes if we, if we talk about something quite fluffy in a fluffy way, it's like, oh, you know, medicine is now creative. And then you sort of go, see you later, guys. And they're all, everyone's just left with, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, like, hey, guys, sky's actually green. We're not going to explain why. See ya. Okay. <laughs> That's why I was saying we could talk about it again in the future. But, yeah, I, That's not enough for you? Not enough. Okay. okay. We, must, we must have some sort of bookend that people can go, ah, I can understand where they're going. And I want to explore it more, not just be like, these Fruit Loops. <laughs> I'm quite happy to be a Fruit Loop here. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I've, I've understood that that's how people will interpret me. But I've got to have something <sighs> that I can at least lie back on and not be like okay. someone, the, the pub test. Okay. Someone come in and be like, well, that is a Fruit Loop. I'm just going to Google creativity, seeing as though I Googled tautology. Dropped my phone earlier. You might have heard the clunk. Okay. Are we actually Googling or are we ending? I'm going to Google while you talk about your finding your definition, aren't you? No, I already found my definition. That's what I said. Oh, okay. What I will do, though, is I will say thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening. You've been Real Clinicians, Real Chats. We have been. We you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Real Clinicians Real Chats. You can. You can follow me uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the Rehab Podiatrist. Mm-hmm. Where can people follow you, Kit? Uh, they can follow me Wise Ways Kit on Instagram, wisephysiotherapy.com.au on the Google Place. Yeah. Cool. And you can also send us an email, Real Clinicians realchats at gmail.com. You want to tell us so, what you liked, what you disliked, your new, your definition for creativity. Please. Why my definition is wrong. <laughs> it's not right or wrong. That's my, That was the joke. Do you want me to read this one out? Yeah, okay, do it. It's just the random one that's come up. I don't, I'm not necessarily advocating for it, it's just the first one. Creativity is defined as the tendency to generate or recognize ideas, alternatives, or possibilities that may be useful in solving problems, communicating with others, and entertaining ourselves and others. So that's, I, that's good. I think our podcast is def- defined as creative. Yeah. And, and I love how, like, the art bit was only at the end. And, and it was sort of like an addition. And maybe it entertains. <laughs> uh, but then like our whole society has just latched onto that last bit and been like that's creativity yeah what if does, that, does that feel okay how we've given it a little bit of some shape Is that does that feel better yes okay cool and the sky is actually still blue right a little <laughs> okay we'll see you all next time bye bye Thank you.